0: One of the hidden blessings of a pandemic was our online worship and fellowship. Zoom and other online medium expanded our horizon and bridged the distance gap, saved a lot of times. We have had people worshiping with us in Boston, Austin, Houston, Killen, Albuquerque, Bay Area, Stockton, Soquel, Chicago, Pacific Northwest, and prosper Texas. For this historical hybrid worship, I have been thinking and praying about our rededication to God as a church and the people of God. And I decided to talk about a most beautiful church. What is a beautiful church? A church with an awesome facility? By the way, at PC Plano is finishing up. It's a $24 million brand-new facility this summer, and then we'll be there in uh, September. What is a beautiful church to you? For me, a beautiful church is a biblical church more than anything else. Church that operates biblically is a beautiful church. And there are many biblical, beautiful churches in the Book of Acts, uh, which we've been studying. For instance, Jerusalem Church was the first church where they experienced the Pentecost, very fresh wind of God. Philippian Church was known for, known as a church of joy, and they supported their pastor who was imprisoned with the prayers and uh, materials. Ephesian Church was known for its commitment to in-depth daily discipleship and learning that resulted citywide spiritual awakening. While many churches are biblical and beautiful, for me, the most beautiful and biblical church in the book of Acts is Saul's or Paul's home church, the Antioch church. Anytime I come to the story of Antioch church, my heart is warmed with hope and my spirit is challenged with encouragement. So I really rededicate myself as a pastor and a member of the church every time I read the story about Antioch Church. And I entitled today's sermon, A Most Beautiful Church, because I believe that Antioch Church shouldn't be the only most beautiful church to God, but every church and forest especially must be the most beautiful. Beautiful church to God in 21st century, especially in our area, North Texas. So we're going to learn about the uh, Antioch Church today. And before I read our text, uh, let me share a general background uh, information about the Antioch. If you look at the map, Antioch was hard to see, but Antioch was far right. This okay. Um, Antioch was the far right.: Yeah, right is right. The so father, Not that Antioch. There is another Antioch. <laughs> yeah, by the way, there are many Antiochs, but the, the Antioch, right, That's the Antioch. <laughs> that's a 300 miles north of Jerusalem and uh, located near the Orontes River. It was the capital of a Seleucid empire. Uh, Seleucid Empire was uh, one of the four kingdoms emerged after uh, Alexander' uh, death of Alexander the Great. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. And it was called, so third largest city, after the Rome is the largest, and then uh, Alexandria was second largest, and then Antioch was third largest. And Antioch was a capital of the uh, east for Romans, until Constantinople took the title in the 4th century. It was a heavily Greek and thus a pagan city, uh, where the myth of Apollo and Daphne was enacted every night, very sensually. So it was a very sinful city. And uh, Jewish population in the city about one-seventh. So it is in this mixed culture and the very pagan place, a most beautiful church in the Bible and in history was established. So with that, let me read our text today, Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with a Herod the Tetrarch. And so, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and then sent them off. What makes a most beautiful church? Here, we see three characteristics of a biblical church that inspire many of us, inspire us and challenge us. By the way, what is the opposite of a beautiful church? What is an ugly church to you? Church with with an ugly building or no building? You know, ugly church is an unbiblical church. What is an unbiblical church? That's the church functions, not biblically, but rather culturally the church that takes the cultural norms and human traditions or conventions, social conventions, rather than spiritual norms and the divine truth. Now, what made an Antioch church a most beautiful church was, first of all, it's a spiritual leadership. Every church has a leadership. There is no church without leadership. So the question is, what kind of a leadership does a given church have? Good churches have a good spiritual leadership, and bad churches have a unspiritual leadership. Antioch church's leadership was a spiritual. Spiritual leadership. What is a spiritual leadership? One of my favorite uh, uh, devotional books in the past was actually entitled Spiritual Leadership, written by Oswald Sanders, a very, very godly director of OMF. Overseas Missionary Fellowship, a classic. Still is a great book. But I believe that today's, uh, our text shows us the picture of a spiritual leadership of a church more succinctly. Two things stand out in today's, story, uh, in, in, about the spiritual leadership here. First, it shows that spiritual leadership is a balanced. Balance. Look at the verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, prophets and teachers. Spiritual leadership has a balance. There were prophets and teachers. Uh, Renowned New Testament scholar named James Dunn uh, makes this comment, and let me just quote his, uh, 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 let me read his comment. That only the prophets and teachers are mentioned may be significant. This is the only place in the Acts where teachers as such appear. The two together imply a balance necessary to the life of any church, an openness to a new insight and development inspired by the spirit, the role of the prophet, and balanced by royalty to the tradition taught and interpreted, the role of a teacher. So it means spiritual leadership has a balance between open innovation and cherished tradition. It does not seek new things for the sake of new things. I know a friend pastor, and one day, one of his church leaders asked me for help. And he was telling me that, Pastor Paul, anytime our pastor goes to, attend a conference, and he comes back, he said, this is a greatest thing, and he makes us do something new. So we've been, we, we, we have done doing that several times, so now we are afraid of a pastor attending a conference. So they were asking me, to, he was asking me, to, can you calm down our pastor? <laughs> now, spiritual leadership seeks the renewal of a tradition in fresh open venues. Prophets and teachers here means a balance between also means a spirit and scripture. As I said before, biblically charismatic Christians have a clear conviction of the spirit confirmed by the scripture, more than just practicing a charismatic worship style and lingos. Spiritual leaders are always sensitive to spirit and secure in the scripture. And the sensitivity to the spirit, I must say, include openness to technology. Yes, I must highlight that one. Sensitivity sensitivity to the spirit includes openness to technology. For instance, Martin Luther. People say, reason Martin Luther succeeded the reformation Whereas uh, many other reformers before Martin Luther failed, so Ru- Luther, he was open to use a printing machine. He printed a lot of pamphlets to express his ideas, and also Luther was uh, open for pipe organ. Pipe organ back then was a new musical instrument. Whereas a radical reformer called Zwingli, even though himself is a great musician. He said, pipe organ was not mentioned in the Bible, and we shouldn't use a pipe organ. Whereas Luther said, whatever, it's okay to use a pipe organ to empower the people. So, you know, 16th century, pipe organ was more like a rock band. And the churches were divided about the pipe organ. And I must say, technology is not our enemy. (laughs) Actually, it can be our friend. I believe Zoom and internet is a godsend, so we will zoom in and zoom out to reach out more people for fellowship and also education. Now, the other import, important nature of a spiritual leadership is that not only balanced but it's a united. And look at the rest of the verse one. Here, Luke described the details of a five leaders of a an Antioch church, which was unique in the book of Acts because. Luke mentioned the five names of uh, church leaders. We don't know the names of uh, other church leaders like uh, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthian church leaders. We don't know them. But when it comes to Antioch, we know their name, and we know some of the unique things about them. So Barnabas, Simeon called the Niger, Lucius from Assyrian, Menen who had been brought up with Herod, Tetrarch, and Saul. The first leader was Barnabas, whose real name was Joseph. And we talked about Barnabas last Sunday—the sheer, you know, encourager. Barnabas always took the risk for others. He gave a benefit of doubt for others, especially those who failed. If you look at the Bible, Barnabas is instrumental in restoring many, many fallen, you know, uh, spiritual, uh, many, many fallen disciples. Now. Second leader is a Simeon called Niger. The word Niger is a Latin word which means black. In America, we pronounce Niger differently. And Niger was once pronounced with a such a stigma and hatred that it became a racial slur. And it's a word that only a few black uh, African-Americans can can use in their very special, you know, uh, cases. It is our shame that our racist history won't allow us to say a word simply means black. In Latin America, I'm from, you know, Venezuela, so I know, you know, over there, speaking somebody, you know, uh, Negro, it's no offense. There is Andres. Andres, you ask Andres after the service. You know, we say, ah, negrita, bonita, benaka, you know, negrito, negrita. We use the word negro without any kind of uh, uh, inferior or superior whatever implication. America, Christian nation with the most evangelical, we have this uh, sad, racist history to overcome. And Simeon was uh, definitely an African. And some New Testament scholars think that he was slave or a former slave. Actually his nickname is a black, means people kind of uh, uh, dis- had a disparage remark on him. Now the third leader was uh, Lucius from Cyrene. And earlier Acts chapter 10, 11, 20, Some people from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks there, telling about the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lucius was probably one of them. And his name was a Latin, and some scholars think that he was actually Roman, probably a Latinized Jew. And then fourth leader was an interesting figure, Manan, Manan, who had been brought up with a Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was a Herod Antipas, the son of a Herod the Greek. Manian was, Manian, Manian, Manian was a common Jewish name. The word that are brought up together is a syntrophos in Greek actually can be translated as a foster brother. It means someone who shared a nursing mother together. So he had been reared in the Herod the Great's uh, household along with uh, Herod's child, Herod Antipas. According to New Testament historians, Manan's father was a close friend and a confidant of Herod the Great. He predicted Herod becoming a king of Israel and was very instrumental in Herod's uh, rise to the power. In another words, Manan, was an influential royal aristocrat. And then finally, Saul. So here we have a very diverse, almost unlikely group of people, together forming a leadership team. A former priest, Levite, Barnabas, African slave, Roman cultured, Jewish aristocrat, and former rabbi candidate, Or academician. And that was not the end at all. Guess who is the most important in this group? The order of names in the Bible means order of importance. For instance, man's name always comes before wife's name, older people's name comes, older brother's name comes before the younger brother's name. And guess who is the second in the So leading pastor is of Barnabas. Guess who is the second in the power in the leadership? That was Simeon, called the Niger. The African, the possibly slave's name came before the rich royal aristocrat and brainy rabbi. So what do we learn from their names? The worldly social packing order was completely rejected and replaced by the new social order of the Holy Spirit. Amen? In the church, we are all brothers and sisters, regardless of our personal background. We are one in Christ. Their unity was absolutely a marvel at the time. That some people call the early, early church a sociological miracle. Sociological miracle. Spiritual leadership is united in spite of a diverse racial, socioeconomic background. You know, unity in the body of Christ is a foremost marker of a biblical and beautiful church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 said this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is a one body and one spirit. Just they were you are called to one hope when uh, when you are called, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is of all, through all, and in all. Seven times the one was mentioned: one body, one spirit. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The first thing the apostles creed, the common universal Christian confession, actually help us to know who we are about the church. Is a church is what? I believe in the Holy Spirit and then one holy apostolic Catholic Church. The first thing that describes the church is a church is one, the unity. That unity is a divine unity. As a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, everyone in the church is one. We share the Trinitarian unity with one another. And the word Catholic means universal. Same thing. You know, unity. You know, what is a universe, universal? Universal is a coined word, you know, you, you know, unity and diversity. You know, we call the highest educational institution university. Right? because in the university, you're supposed to learn the central or the encompassing you know, principles of a life in spite of all the diversity. So beautiful is a university church, united in diverse people. And uh, this is a cons- consistent theme of a Christian tradition. So for instance, you know, uh, the J.R. Tolkien, the first book on the Lord of the Ring was all about what? This kind of unity, right? The fellowship of the rings. What is that? It's a unity in diversity. Do you remember those who, who consist of fellowship of the ring? Who is that? The Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Mary. The Hobbit, four Hobbit, And the two humans, Aragon and Boromir. And then uh, Legolas, the elf. And the Gimni, the dwarf. And the uh, Gandalf, the wizard. By the way, did you, some of you who read The Hobbit, did you notice that even Hobbit, there is a different social orders that Sam called Frodo oftentimes Mr. Frodo, but Frodo never called Sam Mr. Sam. You know why? Frodo is a higher social class than Sam. Sam is a lower social class. But their social classes did not matter because what united the Fellowship of the Ring was their mission. Likewise, what united the diverse people in the church is our mission. Now, how are we doing in terms of unity in our contemporary Christendom in America? We are more divided than ever. In fact, I believe that we have our call from God to reform American evangelical churches with a deeper unity in Christ than anything else. You know, I subscribe and read a Christianity Today magazine every week to know what's going on outside of our church. And I always read articles about the multi-ethnic ministry. Last several articles in 2020 and 2021, about the multi-ethnic ministry was so discouraging that Christianity Today, they did a cover story in their February uh, issue entitled, quote, the multi-ethnic church movement hasn't lived up to its promise. And in that article, an African American pastor of a fairly large multi-ethnic church confessed that his church was a multi ethnic, uh, predominantly actually white and blacks. That's, that's, that's what they call the multi ethnic, and a little bit of uh, you know, Asians or Latinos. He said his church is a multi ethnic only in appearance, not in agreement, especially when it comes to key socio political issues. He said in his church he found the Fox News breeding Trump supporters and adamant Black Lives Matter supporters in his congregation. And Sunday morning is nothing but a truth. And he had to walk a fine line of neutrality. And he couldn't get an honest conversation started. And in fact, he said he was rethinking all over the multi-ethnic ministry. Do you know what I think about multi-ethnic or multi-racial church? I think nothing can be multi or even binary unless we are deeply engaged in the gospel and the gospel-centered house church fellowship. Unless we meet each other weekly, regularly, eating food together, sharing food together, and hearing each other's struggles and stories, honestly, and praying for each other, and loving each other, and feeling loved by each other, we cannot really talk about different political views. Without that common bond in Christ, we cannot overcome different political views. I really believe you know I really believe these pastors of multi-ethnic churches they're well meaning and that that's what you know all church should be but without serious house church ministry conversation without condemnation debate without defensiveness will never happen you know, true multi-ethnic church or anything true multi-social, you know, multi-economical, multi-educational, multi-whatever, multi-aged, exists only in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is my prayer that forest becomes a God's catalyst for safe social, political, economical transformation of our country. Now, Let me move quickly to the second characteristic of a most beautiful church. The first one is a spiritual leadership. Second one is a spirit-directed worship. A biblical beautiful church has not just a worship, but spirit-directed worship. Look at the verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Do you notice something unique here in the verse 2? This is the only place in the Bible we hear the words of the Holy Spirit in verbatim. Yes, we believe and confess that the Holy Spirit is a triune God and third person of the trinity, thus he is a personal and relational being. But when was the last time you heard that the Holy Spirit actually saying, set apart then for me to the work which I have called This is the only place in the Bible where we hear Holy Spirit speaking as I. So, another great Christian theologian named Willie Jennings commented this. Luke has stripped away any ambiguity about who is driving this story. This is a spirit's doing, spirit's work. By this chapter... We find the Spirit speaking clearly through and to the disciples. The voice of the Spirit and voices of disciples are together but not confused. The agency of a one does not negate the action of the other. At Antioch, we found people who know how to listen to the Spirit. In Antioch Church, we found people who know how to listen to the Spirit. A most beautiful church, biblical church, has not only spiritual leadership, but spirit-directed worship. How and why did the Holy Spirit direct their worship? The key to the spirit-directed worship is found in the, uh, in, in the first part of the, uh, the verse 2. While they are worshiping the Lord and fasting. And I.B. misses an important nuance here other english translation like the king james and the new american standard bible translate this way they said as they were they minister to the lord or as they are ministering to the lord so it's not worshiping but ministering okay so uh, let me let me uh, so the usual greek word for uh, worshiping is proskuneo proskuneo from which we have english word prostrate that is uh, you know that means to worship god you prostrate you 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 surrender you recognize his uh, you know authority before you the word the ministering to god here mentioned is a uh, uh, literal uh, what is a literal literal from which we have an english word liturgy now the literal gale usually Make objects to human beings, ministering to people. But here was a ministering to God. Usually, ministering to applies to people, but here in Antioch church, it was God who was ministered. They were ministering to the Lord. Their worship was all about God, not about their feelings or themselves. It is not about me feeling God's love, but it's about God feeling my love for Him. That was what Antioch church worship was about. Do you see the difference? They were ministering to God. That's a spirit directed worship. Hallelujah. And it's a very biblical. If you look at the book of Psalms, there's a tons of it's the, the common experience of bless the name of the Lord. We are not only blessed by God, we are called to bless the name of the Lord or bless the Lord. Billy Graham once said this, The purpose of this Christian society called the church is the first first to glorify God by worship. We do not go to the church just to hear a sermon. We go to the church to worship God. Hallelujah. You know, worship is more than singing. It's more than just a lyrics to a song. Worship is standing in the presence of God and declaring his worth, his praises in his name. A well-known contemporary Christian uh, singer and worship leader said this, The root of worship is much like a Bible, untucked and messy. In the hustle and bustle of leading others in worship, sometimes we can get lost in our own connection to the real reason that we sing like never before. God doesn't call us to worship because he wants to see a good, perfect show. what God wants from us in worship is not a performance, but our heart, our complete heart. Without pretense. You know, for me, uh, another uh, blessing of this pandemic was uh, worshiping God through YouTube. You know, YouTube, they have an algorithm, right? Or whatever, AI, whatever. So once you uh, uh, pick a, one, one song, guess what? They keep bringing the other song similar to that. And I loved it. So, you know, before I pray, sometimes I pray directly, but sometimes I'm not ready to pray. Sometimes my heart is uh, dry. And then I turn on the YouTube, and then, you know, actually one of my uh, five songs during the pandemic is uh, my life song, my life song. Some of you know that the lyrics of the song, that empty hands held high, such a small sacrifice now joined with my life. I sing in vain tonight. May the, uh, uh, may the words I say, things I do, make my life, song, my, my, my life song sing, bring smile to you. I want to sing to God, not just in the melody and voices, but through the words and action. I want to bring a smile to God. And I want to sign His name at the end of the day. And I want to give my life as a living sacrifice to reach a world in a need and to become His hand and feet and mouth. What a song! So this pandemic really blessed me in terms of praising God. And then you know, amazing thing is when we praise God and there is a you know Holy Spirit. You know, uh, uh, stirring our heart with the full love for God? Do you know God loves that? Do you know you are ministering to God? So worship doesn't, we don't just worship here. We worship every day. By the way, Antioch Church was not just ministering to God, but also fasting. All right, when do you fast? I confess, I do fasting when I'm in serious trouble. Do you see any crisis in Antioch church? They did not have any crisis today. In fact, if you look at chapter 11, you see this church growing in numbers. And actually, their even giving was an extra. Yet, Antioch church leaders, they fasted. Why? They wanted to minister to God seriously. They are not just seeking will of God, but they are seeking will of God desperately. The spirit directed the worship led them to this a serious spiritual quest. I almost call it this is a hunger strike to please God and glorify God. You know, when we are desperate in seeking God, Holy Spirit will speak even in the first person. Amen? Let me bring the conclusion. That's the third final characteristic of a beautiful church. When the Holy Spirit saw the fasting and sp- fasting of these ch- uh, Antioch church leaders and spoke to them directly, the result was a sending fellowship. Sending fellowship. Verse 3. So after they had a fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Greek word for sent them off, Apollo Luo. This is a root word or birth form of apostles. Apostle means sent out ones, sent out ones. And the Apostles' Creed once again teaches us to confess that every church is not only one, holy, catholic, but also apostolic. That means church is a sent out ones. We are sent out. If every church is a sending church, that means that every Christian is either sender or sent, or both. I prefer both. And John Stott, great British evangelical leader, once said, we must be global Christian with a global vision because our God is a global God. You know, that's why in our uh, bulletin, the the prayer prayer. Uh, prayer requests, every week is updated with the world prayers. Do you notice the last, you know, months we pray for uh, India, Israel, Myanmar, you know, people who are suffering under injustice. They are our brothers and sisters. They are children of God. So, Antioch Church, what do they do? They finally prayed and fasted and sent out their what, senior pastor, leading pastor Barnabas, and the energetic educational pastor named Saul. And the Antioch church became the first sending, supporting missionary church. And the Barnabas and Saul always returned to their home church. And their home church became a mission headquarters. That's what I pray the forest becomes. I really pray that forest will become a mission headquarters for each other. You know, key word for uh, forest to 2020 was a pandemic and a Zoom. Yeah, I will say that. You know, I picked two. You know, pandemic and Zoom. What do you think? A uh, key word for 2021. I think a key for key word for 2021 is a transition. We have more people than ever relocating and transitioning. We have the largest number of high school graduates in our history. Seven of them going to college. Several families are relocating to different states, even a different country, for jobs. And I must say that though I'm sad, but I'm not disappointed for losing these faithful church members. Actually, I'm excited about a new possibility. So I kind of, once again, entertaining another acronym. Four men. Forest, missionary, Airbnb, network. Seriously, we have people in major states and cities. You know, when you travel to Chicago, check out Mary. Call the Mary. Mary Kim. She promised. When you go to North Carolina, Daniel and Sarah live there. Bay Area, oh, you have a choices. Yun and Youngju in Palo Alto, Maria or oh, Maria also Palo Alto, Sean and staff at the Santa Clara, and recently I heard that Joseph Choi is going to be at the Carmel by Sea. You know how beautiful the Carmel, the Monterey area. I hope there is a church in you know, a conference in the Carmel by Sea. and then you know, New York, we have a Stephen and Sumi. You know, uh, Seattle, end of the year, Laurel and Brian. You know. South Korea, you already received, some of you received the email, Mike and Christine. On top of this, we have a missionaries in Indonesia, Bolivia, Brazil, Venezuela, even Malaysia. We have a Malaysian, you know, uh, 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 people from Malaysia. It is my prayer and dream. That we send uh, many short-term mission teams or missionaries from our house churches, and then have a fellowship with our missionaries. You know, I've done several uh, short-term missions uh, years ago, and uh, when you visit missionaries, and then at least actually not just once but twice, it becomes it's like uh, seeing a seeing of family members. There's a, such a deep bond. So with the Zoom and other online, you know, mediums. I really think the forest can be a global and local body of Christ at the same time. Now, I want to say this very clearly for the one last time. The most beautiful church is a missionary church. You know why? They build up other people. They make other people successful. Who is the most successful person? the really successful, fulfilling people is not someone who just get everything for himself, but uh, make others successful and their life meaningful. Imagine, everywhere Paul and Barnabas went to plant the church, people over there thank God for the Antioch church and their support and their missionaries. I really pray that for us, we become a, such a missionary church through Zoom, and through our members who are transitioning. So in this sense, the pandemic 2020 is a blessing in disguise. It opened a new horizon for us. And this is our new hybrid worship service. Yes, we will have a lot of troubles. We need a lot of manpowers. But we're going to make it work so that wherever our people are, we will build up people of God. And we will reach out to BIPs for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.